so let me ask you a question. Would you read a book with no answers? That all the book did was ask you question after question after question and offered no answers. And the kind of questions that the book asked were the hard questions, questions that kind of made you feel uncomfortable, doubting, is there really a God? Do you really have an afterlife? Does the spirit really go up when you die? Those kind of hard, difficult, is your life actually worth anything? Is all the work that you do and everything that you're doing every day, does it actually amount to anything at all? And then if you object, the author of the book, all he does is say, be quiet, life is stupid, and so are you. Would you read that book? Oh, we're gonna. <laughs> Can anyone guess what book we're gonna be in? Ecclesiastes, good. Now, why are we gonna tackle a book with no answers? Because I'm ornery. Ultimately, that's really the reason. And there's a second reason that's kind of underneath that. And it's this, I think that there has been a creep in American culture towards what is being called safetyism. And safetyism is like this desire to like pad everything and not deal with anything that's difficult, safetyism. And it's creeped in, in our lifetime and I'll prove it to you. So this is for people that are over 40. If you're over 40 in here, yes, someone said, finally our data shine. Merchandisers have forgotten about us. Advertisers don't care about us, but Matt does. Yeah. So if you're over 40, let me ask you this. When you rode your bike as a kid, did you wear a helmet? Raise your hand. Did you know anyone that wore a helmet? No. But today, everybody, right? All kids, it's illegal. You'll get arrested for not wearing a helmet. It's insane. Okay, my crew, if I would have showed up to the little jump down the road with my helmet on, my crew would have been like, dude, what's on your head? It's a helmet. Why do you have that on your head? To protect my brain. You sissy. What do you think God gave you a skull for? Use it, man. Take that thing off, right? But there's been this creep. It's actually happened. Like I can see it in the life of my oldest daughter. She's 18. I remember getting her a car seat, putting her in the car, and then she grows, she, they, they wanna get out of the car seat, right? How much longer have to be in this thing? And it was like, when she was young, it was at four years of age and 40 pounds, you can get out of this. But it jumped on her. She's like, I can't, no, you can't, because it jumped to six years and 50 pounds. And then right when she gets about six and 50, it jumped again and it was eight and 65 pounds, right? That's creeping, it's gonna keep creeping. I'm gonna be one in, in one pretty soon, because I'm not that heavy. You're gonna see me in like a little car, it's the law, I'll get arrested. I need to either gain 20 pounds or be in this seat, sorry. It's nutty. So it's this thing that's happened in America where we, we have to be safe. And I don't wanna say it's all bad, I would like to say it's all bad, but that would cause me a lot of trouble and it'd be unsafe for me, so I'm not going to. There's some good stuff to it, but it's also, there's some really funky stuff with it. Where now it's like, hey, don't talk about anything that might cause somebody to feel unsafe. I don't know if that's the best. I think sometimes you have to address things and walk through them 
because it's helpful, okay? So there's this guy named uh, Nassim Talib. He's an author, wrote a really good book I read 10 years ago called The Black Swan, brilliant book. He also just wrote another book called Anti-Fragile. And in this book, he says this, there are three types of things. There are, number one, fragile things. Teacup. You drop a teacup on the ground, what happens to it? It breaks. Can it repair itself? No, that's fragile. It breaks easily and cannot repair itself. Number two, fragile. Number two, resilient. Think plastic cup, the kind you give to your kids. What happens when that drops on the ground? It bounces. It's unchanged, right? But does break, does uh, the fact that you drop a cup on the ground, does it help the cup at all? No, it, it doesn't do, it, it do, it's neutral, but it's resilient. He said, there is a third category and it's anti-fragile. Anti-fragile things that are things that need stress, need strain, need poking, need prodding to get stronger. And he said, there are three things that are anti-fragile, bones, muscle, and children. They need stress to get stronger. And then he gives us, gives this little analogy that I love. He said, the same wind that extinguishes a candle energizes a fire. Do you want to raise candles or fires? I thought, man, that's brilliant. So my hope in Ecclesiastes is that it's the kindling around your soul that causes God's spirit to ignite something that you're on fire in 2019. That's really my goal. Yes, I'm Henri, no doubt. But my goal is let's get stronger. Let's tackle some of these really difficult questions that Ecclesiastes brings up so that we can be strong, not anti, not fragile or just resilient, but actually anti-fragile where we grow and we become better. That's my hope. So I'm gonna read Ecclesiastes chapter one, the whole thing. I'm gonna read it in a paraphrase because I think it puts it easier. And then I'm gonna try to introduce the whole kind of scope of the book to us today. And that's my goal. So here it is, Ecclesiastes chapter one in paraphrase. Listen to this. These are the words of the quester. It's a very difficult word there. Some say preacher, some all kinds of stuff. I say philosophy professor. These are the words of the quester, David's son and king in Jerusalem. Smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. One generation goes its way, the next one arrives. But nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up and the sun goes down then does it again and again, the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north. Around and around and around it blows, blowing this way, then that, the whirling, erratic wind. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over and do it again. 
everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it, boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What will be, will be again. What happened, will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does someone call out, hey, this is new? Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember that either. Don't count on being remembered. Call me the quester. I've been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I looked most carefully into everything, searched out all that is done on this earth. And let me tell you, there's nothing much to write about. God hasn't made it easy for us. I've seen it all and it's nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. Life's a corkscrew that can't be straightened, a minus that won't add up. I said to myself, I know more and I'm wiser than anyone before me in Jerusalem. I've stockpiled wisdom and knowledge. What I finally concluded is that so-called wisdom and knowledge are mindless and witless, nothing but spitting into the wind. Much learning earns you much trouble. The more you know, the more you hurt. Ecclesiastes chapter one. So I'm studying this on Thursday afternoon and my wife walks in, she's all excited because she was looking at one of our credit cards and it has some miles on it. She's like, we have enough miles to like take a flight and rent a hotel room and get a, get a rental car and go have fun. What do you think? Like, where would you want to go? And I just turned around and said, it doesn't matter where we go. It's all meaningless. It's stupid. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she said, you're studying Ecclesiastes, aren't you? I said, I am. <laughs> That's what this book does to you. You're just like, ah! So let me try to frame what this book is actually trying to do because it has a really good aim. So I'll read this now in my ESV version, but look at verse 12. Here's what this guy's trying to do. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that's done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. Here's what he's saying. I went on a quest to explore different ways of living life. Hedonism, whatever makes me feel good. Partying, just getting drunk, snockered. Academia, learning and studying. Blue collar, building, success, reputation. I did all these different ways of life to see if I could find meaning. And what I found was, he uses this Hebrew word, hevel. And it's a hard one to translate. Wednesday, we'll look at it a lot more. But hevel kind of means glitchy, funny, fuzzy, doesn't add up. So what he found was this. I did all these things. I tried all these ways of living. But no matter what I did, it felt like reality had lied to me. And if I was really honest with myself about the way things are, it never added up. It was always 
pebble, glitchy, weird, didn't make sense, okay? So now let me try to show you why he comes to that conclusion. Because there's a phrase that's repeated over and over in this book that frames the way he looked at things. Okay, so look at verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is gonna be a phrase that's repeated. Verse nine, there is nothing new under the sun. Verse 12, I looked for wisdom of all that's done under the heaven. Same idea. Verse 14, I have seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. The reason why he says it's hevel, it's glitchy, it doesn't add up is he says this, when I explore all these things, hedonism, reputation, work, accomplishment, whatever it is, I explored them as if God did not exist just under the heaven, as if there is nothing else out there. There's nothing that transcends what I see, what I can feel, what I can touch. I looked at life from that direction. And what I found was it's all meaningless. It doesn't matter. It does not add up. Now, let me give you two examples of why he would say that. First one, he says, when I looked at life under the sun and I explored life from all these different directions, here's what I found. Number one, without God, You don't matter. Look down at verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will be there any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. What he said there was this. You don't matter. You will live your life. You will die and you'll be forgotten. You'll live your life, you'll die, and they'll be forgotten. Doesn't matter how great you are. Doesn't matter if you're a peasant in a field or a pharaoh on a throne, eventually you'll be forgotten and you don't matter. Let me try to prove that to you. Who here knows who is the king of England in 1850? Now, England was the dominant empire ever. The sun never set on the English empire, Great Britain. It stretched around the globe, massive. Most powerful man, just a couple generations ago, the king of England. Anybody know who the king of England was in 1850? If you really think you know it, you can shout it out. Nope, it was a queen, Victoria. Kind of, it's just, we don't, they're forgotten, right? I'll go closer. Who knows who the Heisman Trophy winner in 2003 was? Nope, nope, nope. Jason White. In that same year, anyone heard of Jason White? I'd never heard of him, all right? So in that same year, Larry Fitzgerald, Ben Roethlisberger and Eli Manning. And who gets chosen? Who? Jason who, right? He's forgotten. Greatest, best college football player in 2003. We don't even remember him, right? That's how fast it happens, okay? Who won the Fiesta Bowl in 2001? Oregon State Beavers. (laughs) I remember that one, but my memory's fading. It won't be soon where I'm like, when did they win it? 
I don't remember. Who are the beavers? Hand me my pacifier. It's coming. <laughs> That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, listen, eventually you will be forgotten. You'll be forgotten. We're young and we think, I'm gonna change the world. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and you're like, I'm old. I didn't make a difference and I'm gonna die. That's what the preacher would say. And you read this book and you're like, please tell me the good news. And the preacher says, that was the good news. (laughs) It just gets worse from there. Brutal. Okay, so number one, he looks at life under the sun, no matter what direction he took, he said, listen, you don't matter. And then number two, just in this little chapter, he says, number two, what you do doesn't matter. Without God, what you do doesn't matter. Look back at verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes. So the secular person, the person that says, okay, there's no God, I'm gonna live as if there's no God. What they'll say is this, fine, I'm gonna make the planet a better place. I'm gonna toil and I'm gonna work and I'm gonna make the planet a better place. What the preacher would say is, yeah, right you are. All you're doing is rearranging chairs on the deck of the Titanic. That's all you're doing because this whole thing is coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Or modern, you're on an airplane that ran out of fuel over the Pacific Ocean and you're doing a nosedive from 40,000 feet and someone comes out of the bathroom, the flight attendant, and says, hey, the bathroom's overflowing. Someone fix it. What would you say? Hevel. Or maybe something else. It wouldn't matter. Why would I bother with that? We're in a nosedive. And what science tells us is the universe isn't a nosedive. One day this planet will go dark. One day our sun will burn out. One day the universe will go to negative 273.15 degrees and not even an atom will move then. That's our future. That's our future. It's all going that direction. So what the preacher would say is this, because of that, it doesn't matter if you are good or bad, noble or not, Whether you helped a child or hurt a child, nothing matters because your end is insignificant. That your life is like a footprint in the sand right before a wave. That's all it is. That's what the preacher says. Brutal. You're just an accident. An accident of chemicals that got combined and with chance and with time, you're an accident. You had an insignificant beginning and you have an insignificant end when everything goes cold. So if you have an insignificant beginning and you have an insignificant end, what does that mean your life is? Insignificant, Insignificant, right? That's what it means. That's what he's saying. But Matt, I love, I have love. What about love? Love is just a chemical in your brain that causes you to reproduce and to raise viable offspring. That's all it is. But I'm moved by things. I went to a concert and I just love music. He would say, music is stupid. That's what he'd say. It's chapter two. It's just stupid. Give me a break, right? But, I, but I'm noble or I'm valiant. Who cares? Who cares if you're noble or valiant? Those are just cultural things that slide, don't they? Good versus bad. Isn't that just culturally defined? What we say is good today versus what we say is bad today. It's culture. What we say is pretty today versus what we say is ugly. Isn't that culture? Believe me, it is. 
Look at what a hundred years ago in America, we said what was pretty. What was a beautiful woman and compare it to what we say is a beautiful woman today. Has it changed? Woo, massively. Why? Because it's cultural. All these things are just cultural. They're meaningless. They're dumb. They don't mean anything, right? Good versus bad. Transport yourself back 700 years to Norway and you're a Viking. What's a good, good Viking supposed to do? Rape and pillage, right? Is that Norway today? One of the most progressive countries in our world? No way, they're the exact opposite. Why? Because it's culturally determined. That's what Ecclesiastes would say. It's all meaningless. It's all just sliding scales. Nothing means anything, right? So the preacher is saying, I'm calling you to be really honest about yourself. If you had an insignificant beginning and you know you have an insignificant end, your life is insignificant as well. It's why Albert Camus, who knew this stuff, he's a famous philosopher. He said, the only way to live life is to be absurd then. Because we have an insignificant beginning and we have an insignificant end, our lives are insignificant. So you have to be absurd with life. You have to say, even because of all that, it doesn't matter, I'm still gonna live a good life. And he goes, it doesn't add up. It's fuzzy, it's glitchy, but it doesn't matter. You live an absurd life. That's what you're supposed to do. But the preacher would say, nah, nah. Tomorrow morning, it doesn't matter if you get up at 5 a.m., and you come to our prayer thing at our office at 6.30 and you pray for an hour and then you go kill it at work all day. It doesn't matter if you do that or if you wake up under a bridge at noon because in 50 years, you're both gonna be in the same spot and it will not matter. That's Ecclesiastes chapter one. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday. <laughs> That's how he leaves it, just questions. I can't do that though. So let me try to keep you from going home and Netflix binging for the next 800 hours and drinking beer and puking. Let me try to keep you from that. I don't want that. I have a better future for you. I think if you look at the big picture of life, there are two realities and that's it. And based on those two realities, it's going to determine how you live in a lot of ways. And the two realities are simple. Number one, everything has meaning. Number two, nothing has meaning. Those are your two realities. And they will cause you to live your life in a certain way, right? If nothing has meaning, this is where the human secularist is stuck. This is where they know Albert Camus is right. Nietzsche is right. These philosophers that said, if there's no God, it's absurd. They, they were right. And it's gonna matter. If nothing matters, how are you gonna deal with disease and heartache and pain and marriage and parenting? If nothing matters, how are you gonna deal with that? How are you gonna deal with it? What are your questions gonna be when it's dark at night and you're thinking through life? What are your answers, right? Is it circle of life? Remember that? The song from the Lion King? Is that, what, is that how we live, the circle of life? where the dad sings the circle of life and Simba's like, how do we become part of the circle of life? And the dad says, oh, here's how. The antelope eat the grass. We eat the antelope. We die, we go into the ground and then the grass grows up from us and then the antelope eat the grass. It's the circle of life. Isn't it wonderful, Simba? You're fertilizer. <laughs> go get him, buddy. Is that what we believe? That's the nothing has any meaning. 
That's what that's teaching. Nothing, else, nothing matters. Just part of this thing, which is all what Ecclesiastes chapter one is doing. Just this circle, and that's what you're on. It's a merry-go-round without the merry. It's round and round and round. How's that gonna help you? Do we really believe that about death? That death, death is actually like in the circle of life, death is helpful, right? Do we believe that? I say death is an invader. That's why we have bumper stickers that say kill cancer. And I hate cancer because we say it's an invader. It's invaded us. It's every tragedy. Shakespeare plays our, our, our tragedies because death is a tragedy, right? It's not Juliet dies and like, hey, so it's fine. She's just really good fertilizer. We'll put her out in the field and then we'll have good milk next year. It's awesome. No one does that. No one believes that. But that's reality number one. Nothing means anything. But praise God, there's a different reality. And it's everything has meaning. And Jesus comes on the scene. And here's what Jesus says. He says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. How radical of a statement is that? What is he saying by that? Everything matters. Things that you think are so insignificant, you would never think about them. You would never count them. You'd never worry about them. The father knows the very hairs on your head because everything has meaning. He would say, the birds of the sky, the sparrows are sold for a penny. But if one sparrow falls and dies, your heavenly father knows that sparrow died. How much more valuable, how much more worth are you than a sparrow? Because everything has meaning. If you take a cup of cold water and you give that to a child, you're not giving it to future fertilizer. That cup of cold water, that act is going to echo through all of eternity because everything has meaning. Which one do you believe? That nothing has meaning, you're insignificant because your beginning's insignificant and your end's insignificant and the only way to live life is absurd? Or do you believe what Jesus says? Everything has meaning. It'll matter. Moms, when you wake up at 4 a.m. to change your baby's diaper, why are you doing that? Are you doing that because you're like, well, she's just future fertilizer, so, you know, whatever. I'm getting something in my hand right now. It's fine. Is that why? Or are you saying, I know that the life and the light and the love that I am pouring into this child is going to echo out for eternity because everything has meaning and the life of this child has meaning. Is that why you do it? Which do you believe? There's only two. That's all there is. Do I clean my house and keep my yard clean and, and do all that because of a chemical in my brain? That makes me a little OCD? Or do I say, no, I do that because I had a beginning that was significant. And I had a heavenly father who said this, you're my image bearer. And just like I took chaos and I cre created order out of it, Matt, you're supposed to duplicate that same thing because you're significant. Is that why I do it? Because I'm an image bearer and my beginning was significant. Do I go to work? And this meaningless thing because, well, it's just what, it's absurd. Work is absurd. Or do I go to work saying, I'm doing that same thing. I'm taking the chaos 
that could be work and I'm trying to bring order into it. In business, the chaos of people and products and, and vision and, and different ideas, I'm trying to order those things in such a way that we come up with something that's beautiful and ordered and right. An artist taking the raw stuff of paint or music or whatever and ordering it in such a way that people say, oh, that's beautiful, it moves me. School teachers heading back to school tomorrow. We will pray for you. Parents are rejoicing. Yes. Right? You're taking these unruly third graders that come in with jacked up hair and bad breath. And you're like, I want to order you guys in such a way and give you a vision for the future that it echoes out for eternity. I can go on and on and on. Either nothing means anything or Everything has meaning. Those are your two options. Which one do you believe? Which one do you actually live? I don't really know anyone that lives. Nothing has meaning. They want to deceive themselves at the least. Ecclesiastes would say, be honest with yourself. If there's no God, that's your only option. You came from insignificance. You're going to insignificance. So your life is insignificant. But praise the Lord, there is an answer at the very end of this book. It's really the one answer he gives. And his answer is this, there is a God and everything has meaning. And so we come to the table and part of coming to the table is this. We're to remember. I think we're to remember that death was swallowed up by life when Jesus went to the cross. The great invader, the great thing that our biggest enemy, we remember, it's not the end. It's just the close of one chapter. We remember that everyone that loves Jesus and believes in him as their king will rise and rule with him for eternity. And what I've done in this earth is gonna echo out through my life and through the next billion trillion years that the person that I share Jesus with, I'm not sharing him with future fertilizer. I'm sharing it with somebody that's an image bearer of God. And if they believe in Jesus, I and that guy will tell and laugh about that conversation for billions of years, that everything has meaning. We eat and drink that. That's what we eat and drink. Now, what you do today and how you live your life, it's building something in you that's gonna last forever, for good or for bad. We eat and drink that. So Jesus, this day, I pray for any who came in here who feel like they don't matter. They're insignificant. I pray that they would hear the words of Jesus in their heart right now, that the very hairs on their head have been numbered, that you know the number of hairs that came out in their comb or brush this morning. That's how precious they are to you. That you demonstrated they're precious and valuable to you in that you gave of yourself, your blood, your body for them a great exchange. I pray that they would know that the choices and the actions 
that they take this day are ripples that affect the forever future. I pray that each one of us in here, that we would this day remember our future, that it is significant, that you have plans, that we'll rule and reign and serve you in ways that define us and delight us for eternity. I pray that we'd eat and drink those things. And we'd go from here in 2019 set on fire by your spirit. And I pray this in your name, amen.